I'm Gerd Leonhardt, futurist in Zurich, Switzerland. Uh, I run a company called the Futures Agency, and I also do a talk show online called Gerd Talks. And just a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Bill Halal, Professor Emeritus at Washington State University and founder of TechCast, an all-around very interesting man. And we talked quite a bit. I think it's Gerd Talks number 12. It was a good show. And we figured we should talk again about a really important topic. And right now, this is just an audio podcast. Um, the important topic being is how do we actually have a conversation with each other? And Bill calls this talking across differences. And some of that I read in his great book, which just recently came out. And Bill, you can tell us a little bit more about the book. And uh, the snippets from the book are uh, published on my website as well. But Bill, uh, why don't you kick it off and, and explain to us what do you mean with talking across differences? Well, we have to start by recognizing that uh, we have an unusual amount of conflict today. Conflict has always been a problem, but it's exacerbated by the digital revolution. Social media floods us with uh, an overwhelming amount of information. People are baffled. They don't know what to make of it all. They, they choose uh, uh, information that suits their preferences. So they have different uh, knowledge bases they come from. And there's this habit of arguing. Uh, that's the way science has always worked, kind of arguing. And that's the way the media works. You know, they they uh, uh, pose two different parties with opposing views against one another. So it's built into our culture. And I think we've got to find a different way of speaking across differences and listening across differences, because the problem's going to get worse if we don't do something about it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, do you think that's also kind of an academic habit that people argue with each other more than anything else? Or is, or is it a social media fallout? Or Exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's academic, the media, all of those institutions support it. But there are some places where it, it's not done, and I think we can learn from that. And I think we have need different habits. We have to uh, uh, recognize that truth does. We, nobody has a monopoly on truth. For one thing, we start there. That we uh, we all have a different portion of the truth, and if we listen to one another, we can get a better sense of what's going on, a better sense of reality, and then we can find a shared truth, which is what's badly needed, uh, common understandings. But this is well, tough. It, it, it seems to me a little bit like uh, the trust has gone missing, you know? Like yeah. when I think back 20 years ago, it seems like that really before the internet, you know, there, <laughs> there was kind of a more of a trust that you would have towards, say, a BBC anchor or uh, an uh, adversary in political parties and so on. But now it seems like everything is so amplified that people don't trust that anybody's going to do anything good with what they're saying, right? Yeah. And, it, and it seems like That's a lot right. more negative stuff is coming to the top. Yeah, we've got into this, this situation where there, there there is no trust. You kind of expect other people to uh, be enemies and to say something that you're not going to like. That's absolutely true. But that's exactly what has to be done. We have to find a way of dealing with one another that enables trust so that we can listen to one another. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great, great challenge. It's uh, in an age of consciousness, it's, it's essential because this distorts consciousness. We have all these fractured consciousness 
but everybody has their own sense of consciousness. We need a shared sense of consciousness. Yeah, and how do we get that back? You know, I, th I think the uh, I looked at some of the statistics the other day, and it seems like negative news travels about six to seven times as fast as positive news on, yeah. on social media, right? Um, and also the the amount of fake stuff that's happening, like Twitter allegedly, close to thirty three percent are bots, you know, ro software robots that post things. Um, it, it kind of makes me think like, you know, if you're looking back at the birth of social media 12 years ago or so, um, si since that has happened, it has actually gotten worse. Right? It has gotten worse in that we have this algorithmic function that's telling us who to listen to. And also the kind of seeding mistrust has become the, the common, uh, the, the common uh, objective. It, and that is a really a strange thing. So I wonder how we can reboot media and how we can bring back stuff, for example, uh, by funding more public media, media again. And how exactly would that happen so that we can have real conversations? Like, I mean, 20 years ago, when you listened to 60 Minutes, it seemed like there were differences, but they were still talking, right? right, uh, right. And now we don't have that. So I wonder how we can bring that back. Well, I, I, uh, I'm writing an article on this now. Uh, let me outline what I think are uh, a few steps, like a half dozen points to keep in mind, and then we can go into those in some detail. I think the first thing is you start uh, by having an agreement about the ground rules for a discussion. You have to have some understanding of what the, uh, the rules are before you start. And one of the first rules is, You avoid inflammatory language. You don't start out by accusing people of doing bad things and calling them names and that sort of stuff. So if you, if you start by avoiding uh, provocative language, that's a good beginning. And then uh, on the part of the, the receiver, this, the, uh, the listener, uh, the listener has a big responsibility uh, to really hear what is being said in, in, in the deepest sense Because most people don't listen. They're, they're waiting until the other speaker stops and they're planning their counterattack. Well, we got to stop doing that. We've got to really listen so that you not only understand what the person's saying, but you internalize it to the point where you actually change your own opinion. You change your mind a little bit. You absorb mm -hmm. what's being said. That's hard. Most people have a hard time doing that because they're so ego-driven They, they want to get their own view out. And they have to give that up. We have to stop believing that, that we're right and we have the answers. And we have to recognize that we're all together in trying to find the truth. Now, that's really tough, but that's what we have to do. And if we can I, do I was that... going to say, it, it seems kind of like the professional problem for futurists, you know, is that you're always answering some question or the other. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something... I think it's been hard, really hard for me because... People want me to say things, and then if I don't say things, then I can listen better, right? But it's a whole different uh, a skill of learning. I think when you have kids, you learn this, you know, yeah. more listening, less less talking. Uh, and, you know, I think that's, that's really a key point. It would be a richer world. We would have richer experiences if we could do this. Then we could be open to more information. If we're... Uh, a, 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 parroting our own views that we don't learn anything and we're stuck with our own views so this would allow us to learn more we'd have a richer experience and you'd see that the richness of uh, of the dialogue taking place 
that that would be reality. That would be a a, a more healthy version of reality if we could just listen to different. And for, for instance, the in in the United States, it's the the Trump supporters. We have to listen to those people. I know that would be hard, but if we want to have peace with those seventy million people. I think Americans start have to start listening to them. That would really be an eye opener if we could do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that will be a tough one. I mean, it's yeah. just right right now. It's like it's like there's a uh, uh, there's a camp here, there's a camp there, and they're just throwing stuff yeah. over the over the wall. Yeah. yeah. Well, go on with your points. You had more. You had more points. Right. Well, you you have to stop saying things like "I disagree" or "You're wrong," or "What about?" You have to stop doing that. And we have to just ask constructive questions. How do you feel about does and so? Why do you believe this and so forth? And if we do that, it, it's just a, a very different experience, I think. Uh, it's, it's a more satisfying uh, viewpoint. And, and then if we can do that, we can see the differences that we have. They're all, they're, they're all valuable. Everybody has a little bit of the truth. So we have a richer understanding of the situation of reality, and then the, the way is open to find solutions, I think. And this would be a very different world. It, it would be a, a, we would form really a learning society, a society that's based on seeking truth. That would be a real accomplishment, rather than proving that you're right, we're seeking truth. That would be a different type of society. And that's going to be hard, but I think that's what we have to do. Yeah, it seems like this is one of the key Uh, things that really make makes a, a good conversation, you know, when you're seeking something together rather than wanting to get your point across. I mean, I, I get this a lot when I talk to people about um, potential future scenarios where it's just right or wrong, you know, right? Yeah. And, and, and this is kind of a one-way street. So, I mean, related to, uh, to this, you know, you're writing in your book, which is uh, Beyond Knowledge, right? Um, You're writing a lot about how we need to climb to the next level beyond this kind of just information exchange and data exchange, you know, to the to the wisdom part, right? The the consciousness part. Um, and I wonder if we're not getting there because we're also so much stuck on uh, uh, insisting which knowledge is correct or not. Yeah. Right. Like you're yeah. not right, and I can prove it to you by googling. You know that that this is not the fact, right? That's um, not going to get us. That's, that's just creative, foments the same problem. And, you know, if you really listen to people, it can have a powerful effect. There's a whole field of psychiatry that's based upon simply listening to the patient. I mean, really listening to somebody is, is a healing process because people need to have their, their views affirmed. They, they badly need to be heard. And if you hear them, that in itself, I think, would um, alleviate some of the stress and the, the self-righteousness that people profess. Because if they heard, then they can relax a little bit. They can, they can uh, re rethink their own views. So just listening to somebody would be a very powerful thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like a, a good therapist is kind of, uh, this is what therapists do, right? They, yeah, they don't exactly. respond. They don't respond and say, hey, it's quite clear you should get divorced yeah, because exactly. it isn't going to go anywhere. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. the, would like rather point point towards an opening of a sort, right? And yeah. uh, this is also why sometimes I call my work the future therapy, right? Because uh, yeah, I try to, uh, yeah, I try to kind of point the way towards something rather than saying, 
oh, you know, do it like this, um, <laughs> which, is, which, which really never works because clearly that, that is only reason for rejection, you know, but, but to um, a wise therapist, a good therapist would kind of, you know, I've, I've gone a few times <laughs> in the past, but so I, I, can, I can definitely write a story about this one, but kind of point the way towards a potential resolution, a door, right? Uh, and then you still have to take the door. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it, it seems like this is also, again, the dissatisfactory thing when you do virtual things rather than when you do real things. Yeah? It's like when you're sitting together in a room talking to another person, this is usually what happens. You, it's much easier to do that. Right? Uh, and online, it seems like, okay, you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing next. Right? And, and that is a, a disconnect between what is really the human way of, of communicating. And one of the great difficulties in finding doing stuff online is that you have these kind of chunks, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's also, of course, for technical reasons, it's hard to speak on top of each other, of course, which is normal when you meet in person. Yeah, and we're going to have to uh, uh, be patient with one another while we figure out how to do this. I don't, you know, I'm not sure even this is right. I may be wrong in some respect. Maybe some people can't do this. I don't know. We have to experiment. But I, have, I think we have to start by trying. We have to be patient with one another and try to learn how to uh, talk and listen across differences. That's going to be hard. But I don't think we have the option. I, I don't think we're going to make it if we keep shouting at one another. That's not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this uh, new post I call the 2030 emergency. And I'm, I'm counting all the things that are, you know, I usually say the future is better than we think. And now I'm saying, if you look at this, it may be worse than we think, you know, the climate change issue and yeah. that we, the fact that we can't, I mean, America is a great story. Just weeks ago, you know, there was a total no-no to build back better and, you know, off the chart, right? And all of a sudden, here's something else. And I wonder what happened in that dialogue, you know, but there wasn't, there wasn't enough talking about how they could do it together. So somebody else had to come out of left field and, and do something else. And it's one of those breakdowns of communication that really kind of unnerving, I find. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I think you do. Uh, you, you have a good approach, I think. I think you listen to your audience pretty well. Uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I can't. Recall. Well, you should ask my wife about that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's another point. We need this in our personal relationships, in our marriages. We right. have to, a lot of marriages suffer from this very problem that uh, the two partners don't really listen to one another. That's exactly true. It's also the assumption thing, right? I mean, this is the, the other problem is on the flip side of this, that you have certain assumptions about what is happening and what's not happening or about other people, right? Um, and to question your assumption, for example, about another person yes. or about what goes on with them, that's the hardest thing because you've had like 50 proof, you know, 50 times the proof that that this person is like this, right? Right. But I always find it interesting to see when you stop having the assumption and when you, you try to kind of, you know, take a step back and say, let's see what happens, right? Then all of a sudden you realize, you know, this assumption is completely flawed. Exactly. Kind of my, my projection, right? Um, exactly. And I think this, this is an important conversation when you speak about the future because 
we all have assumptions about what is possible, what is not possible, and who is what, and, and so on and so on, right? So uh, I think it would be good practice to question. I mean, I do that sometimes, like uh, uh, when you do a group of people talking about the future, you write down basic assumptions, like, you know, we just will not make the shift to a green future, right? Assumption number one. Yeah. Uh, and, and write them all down and then, and then say, okay, let's look at some of these and see how real that still is. Um, and where we can find optimism, which is what did on the last GER talk, right? we talked about optimism and, and why we should have optimism that we can actually do this. Right. I mean, it's all related, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And, you know, scientists themselves, I think, uh, fall into this problem. They, they, they can be very brutal with one another. And that yeah. doesn't help uh, figure out science. So it's built into our culture. It's going to be very hard to change this. But I think we have to start uh, practicing, learning how to do this in simple ways. And I, I think on your show, I think we ought to talk about that and, and practice. Just try it and see what happens. I think it'd probably be a big surprise to hear these different points of view that shatter our assumptions. Yeah, I mean, this is part of the goal of what we're trying to achieve with the Good Future Project, which we're launching very soon, uh, is to yeah. find a platform for that conversation. Um, and also, uh, the other thing is to create a different narrative, you know, to, to have a, a, a positive narrative. I mean, it's funny, part of the talking across differences is that we're always expecting those differences to dominate, and then we're already in a certain shooting position, you know. Uh, if we were to take a step back and say, let's let's find out what really is happening, you know, maybe we wouldn't get to the shooting match. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and, and I think this is, you know, again, you take it from therapy. This is really what happens when you walk into the room and, and you have two opposing parties and you can't question your uh, belief system and stuff, then, then that has to be smashed first, you know, this bad starting point. Yeah, yeah the, the problems uh, that humanity faces are so enormous that it's going to require something like this to surmount them. Uh, I don't see how we're going to make it if we keep arguing with one another. That's just well, I, I think we're seeing that. We're seeing that now. I mean, that we're heading towards total climate emergency, and that's going to force us to talk across differences very quickly because, you know, we have a climate emergency, we have a food emergency, we have an energy emergency, we have a political emergency, especially in the U.S., with dysfunctional parties and co not working collaboration. And that's going to lead us to that point to where it's either going to be time to talk openly and dramatically uh, or system collapse, right? And I think this is, I mean, it's quite clear that this is happening much quicker than we ever thought it would. And, you know, for, for us, it's mostly about our kids, you know, if they're going to live in a world where that can be resolved. Um, but it's definitely, uh, it's, a, it's a big topic to, uh, to break through that logjam, you know, uh, and the positioning and the posturing. I mean, it, it's kind of a strange thing when you're looking at American politics from here, from Europe, you know, how this posturing and positioning is like the number one thing. Yes. Uh, and most and most candidates spend 40% of their time, most uh, politicians, on, on re-election. Yeah. <laughs> and raising funds, you know, that's a little bit different here. But I don't know right. how we're going to get there, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, you you think you uh, you actively try and do this on your shows, Gerd? You try to listen carefully to the your opposing viewpoints. Uh, well, I I think I try. I I don't know if I succeed, but 
the, the thing is that the, I think for an audience it's a bit more tedious, you know, to uh, to follow the the trail of of uh, how people really talk to each other, and it's much easier if you're actually involved, you know, then then you can be part of this. Um, the other thing is that I really don't like what's happening online is this kind of attention deficit disorder as the new normal. You know, say something really powerful and important in two minutes and then move on to the next important, powerful thing. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I don't think human brain works that way. You know? uh, so I'm trying, but I, I'm not really sure you know, how, to, how to find a good format to actually make that work. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, that, that's I why it's, I, I think it's, you can't, it's hard to do it all by yourself. You know, I think you, the, the, well, I take that back. If you just do this yourself, that does have effect on people. If you really do uh, subdue your egoism and really listen to somebody, I think that has an effect. They, they drop their defenses and they can start uh, being uh, more authentic. But it'd be better if we understood what we were doing, if we expressed the the desire to do this and we learned how to do it so that we, we know what the ground rules are. I, that's why I'm writing in this article. I'd like to make it clear what the, the, the process is. There's a, there's a, we need a process for doing this. We can't just well, I think I think part of the challenge, especially for you uh, and for me, you know, I'm I'm not an academic, but I've done a lot of studying. But is to talk more from the heart than from the yes. head. Yes. You know, uh, and uh, if you're talking to people from India or from Brazil or so, you find that they can talk much easier from the heart. It's a cultural thing, you know. Right. Uh, and we always like, especially in Germany, you know, we have to find scientific arguments for everything. Um, and it's like an engineering society. We want to engineer everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that's... Um, and I, I, another one of those challenges, you know, how do you speak with, uh, you know, from your mind or from your heart rather than from pulling out some statistic and saying, here you go, it's proven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who once said, I, I forgot who said this, you know, you could, if you torture data long enough, it will confess to anything. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I've, I've, actually, I've done it a few times where I said, okay, I'm going to present this data and then I'm going to prove the fact that this is happening or not. And then two minutes later, I do the opposite using other data and both is proven, right? Showing that uh, it's all about your assumptions, you know, what actually, what you actually yeah. believe, you know. I, I read this great guy from this guy, uh, uh, Polachuk, uh, another. YouTube guy, but also thinker, who said the um, our mindset contains our future. Right? Ah, that's uh, good. And that is that's just so true because you know the mindset that we have when we come into a conversation or into a conflict defines already what's going to happen there. So yeah, uh, changing that mindset is a tough mission. Yeah? It is. Yeah, yeah. Because it's uh, also kind of a scary thing, you know. It's uh, uh, and I think we're now at this moment where basically the entire year, next year or so will be composed of scary new things that we have to do uh, to resolve the scary issues, large issues, right? And, and um, I always say that it's the end of business as usual. Maybe it's also the end of talking as usual you know, to get to that point. I don't know. I, I think you're right. It, uh, things are going to get uh, pretty, uh, pretty tough 
over the next uh, rest of this decade, you can see the climate problem is, is just beginning to get serious. It's going to get a lot worse. Uh, and I, and I that, think maybe you have, you have some more tips about the talking because I think there in the climate, for example, we see this gridlock, right? Uh, we have Greta and, you know, stop, blah, blah, blah kind of thing. We have uh, Extinction Rebellion. And we have, you know, it's, it's being polarized a lot. So I know, do you have any, any ideas for better communication on this? Uh, the, you know, there are always rational solutions. The solutions are always there. That's what impresses me. It's just that people uh, are so busy arguing that they can't get to thinking about the solutions. That's the whole point of this, to, to get the egos out of the way so that you can see the reality. And uh, I wonder what's going to happen when climate gets really severe. Are people going to get more intense in their arguments? Or are they going to finally relent and really try and listen? I think we have to provide some leadership here by doing this ourselves. We have to, for instance, you ought to hold a program where you have really obnoxious people And yet they are listened to. That would be really something to have a speaker who's really obnoxious, but yet you tolerate him and you just listen constructively. That would be something. That's the test. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that would be a great test. I mean, the uh, I think we're not going to be short of emergency moments in the next couple of years with this. Oh. I mean, if if you take a look at what's happening right now, the global heat wave uh, and the prices of food have gone up 20, 30, 40 percent, and of course energy. And so on, and, and 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 this is going to lead to unrest, right? So, for example, if you're uh, if you're in America and and you're in the middle of America somewhere, your food prices are going up. You're already working two or three hour uh, different jobs at the same time, right? There's conflict coming, right? and I th I think that's going to require us to take a step back or declare sort of war, right? I mean, we're basically uh, this is an emergency situation, I think, in every possible way. Um, And it's it's going to really in the next couple of years it's going to heat up a lot, right? Because it's it's all like it's all like a, uh, a convergence of problems, you know, hitting each other, forcing us to take stock and and think about what we really want and how we're really going to get there. Yeah, I think so. So, so we uh, have our work cut out for us. Yes, uh, maybe briefly at the end of this episode. Can you talk briefly about the uh, global consciousness? And uh, this is a topic that has been coming up a lot in my uh, in emails I'm getting from our show. Right? What exactly are we talking about here with global consciousness? Yeah, I think that's that's the, the question. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's clear that the present consciousness is failing badly. The present consciousness, I think, can be summed up as focusing on money, self-interest, and power. You know, in, in a That's pretty a simple way to put it, but I think that's pretty true. And those values are inherent in some ways. And people are always going to be concerned with their self-interest. You can't deny that. But we have to uh, uh, limit that a bit and be able to tolerate uh, and, uh, and I, the idea of collective self-interest and enlightened self-interest. So that's yeah. going to be very hard, but I, I think we have to do that. I don't see how we can avoid doing that. Uh, and the question is, what is what is this global consciousness going to be like? I have an idea. In my book, I have five principles. You can find lots of other people who have defined uh, a global ethics and various ideas. But I think that's an area where we have to 
get together and thrash out these different ideas and come up with a consensus on a few very simple principles that uh, everybody in the world can can uh, adhere to. Uh, that itself is going to be a big challenge. Yeah, I think we should do a few more things about this because yeah. uh, ultimately, I, I mean, I kind of feel, of course, I'm European, you know, so we have a kind of European consciousness in a, in a, in a bizarre way. Um, there's lots of disagreements, lot, lots of fake stuff that doesn't work and lots of bureaucracy, but, but we do have in Europe this kind of collective humanity. You know, we, we prefer to stay human and we voluntarily in many ways pay our high taxes uh, to keep a human society and a social capitalism that we have here. And um, so sometimes I wonder if Europe is going to be sort of pointing the way towards their global consciousness um, in a way that that is unlikely to happen quickly in the U.S. for for many reasons, and probably not in China, <laughs> maybe, maybe in Africa. I don't know, but but uh, we definitely need more guidance on this one. I think the Europeans and especially the Nordic countries are leading the world in uh, the, the uh, uh, their political economic systems. Uh, they seem to be the most successful. I think they they uh, have. Uh, um, And it shows uh, in their statistics, their economies are more competitive, they are healthier, they live longer, they're happier. So yeah, it's I, interesting, I, you know, if you, uh, if you look at the Global Happiness Report for whatever it's worth, I don't really know how that's measured, but that's like a hundred different things. It's always the Nordic states and Switzerland yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that are leading there. Exactly. Uh, but it's funny, you know, if you go to Finland, which is usually the leader on the top, Finland and Norway, uh, and then you say, why are you so happy that I No, we're not happy. <laughs> It's like you're happy and you don't know it kind of thing, you know. Well, what do you um, think that means when they, they are, but they don't recognize? What does that mean, do you think? You know, I think it means that, that um, they feel well taken care of and they don't notice unhappiness as, as maybe as much as we do here. Um, but it's probably less Darwinistic, you know, let's put it that way. Um, I think if you look at countries like Brazil or the U.S. or the U.K. or others, you know, that are more sort of doggy dog uh, in many ways, extreme polarization of, of issues, you know. And, yes. and here in Switzerland, for example, we don't have that. We don't have a president, right? We have seven and half of uh, them are women. Yeah. And we vote on every issue from the size of the broad wars all the way to nuclear power plants. Yeah. Uh, and that, that can also be a quite tedious, but... Um, Anyway, I, it was really fun to speak to you uh, on this topic about talking about differences. And um, I hope you guys out there who are listening to this podcast, that's going to be on my podcast channel. Um, can you tell us, Bill, where people can find out more about you and your book? And your book is on Amazon, right? You can uh, learn about the book at uh, beyondknowledge.org. And I'm happy to report that uh, we just had a promotional campaign And Beyond Knowledge uh, came out number one in several categories. So I'm very pleased with that. Uh, the yeah, book I think is, it's one of the best books I've read for some time. Yeah, you know, I've really tried to come to grips with the big challenges. And I, and I approach it from a perspective of, of social evolution, which I think mm -hmm. is a sound way to understand the crises of today. Uh, it, it does, you can't make sense out of it unless you see it from the long-term perspective of social evolution. Right. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to talk to you, uh, Gerd. 
Yes, I think I think we make a very good pair. We should keep on going. <laughs> so beyondknowledge.org, my book is at tech versus human tech, be as human.com. And of course, my YouTube channel, GertTube, and so on. You'll see it all in the text on the podcast. And uh, thanks, Bill. Thanks for your time. Thank and you, Gert. Everybody out there, live long and prosper and talk to each other. Yes. Thank you.